the Wine Tech Insiders Podcast. Today, we're going to dive into packaging. We have with us our insiders, Lori from Outshinery. Hi. Seb from Trolley. <laughs> Good morning, boys and girls. And a special guest, Santiago from Pacamama. A grateful guest. I'm not sure special, but uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Santiago, tell us just a bit about, um, we want to dive into all the topics around uh, packaging, but um, first, what is Pacamama? What are you guys tackling? So Pacamama is a packaging company in the wine industry um, that first and foremost protects Mother Earth. Um, we're in the midst of a climate crisis. It is a genuine emergency. I'll address some of the points later, which I think are, uh, they're important for the wine industry, they're important for packaging, but they're important for um humanities and um, continued existence on this planet. So, so Pacamama is, as I say, um, it stands for Packaging Protecting Pachamama or Mother Earth. Um, but, but we also um, protect the contents and, uh, and address consumer convenience and other needs. We can address more, but, uh, but that's also in summary. So challenging the status quo, not because um, the status quo needs to be challenged, but because the status quo is too, too high carbon footprint. And we, we um, covered Pacamama um, a few podcasts ago, um, <laughs> and you have a flat wine bottle. Is that the way you describe it? Uh, yes, we, we summarize eco-flat. Um, you, you called it a flat plastic bottle, and it's one point I'd like to pick up on in, in, in this chat, because not all plastics are created equal. And uh, as a wine um, podcast, you'll know the difference between um, different grape varieties and how complex that can be. Um, mm -hmm. Polymers, there are not as many as there are grape varieties, um, but they're equally complex. And so um, it's um, very unhelpful when looking um, at products produced from polymers to just call them more plastics, because it would be the same as if I asked Seb now, Seb, you've got a choice of seven different um, vehicles, which car are you going to choose? And you need to make an environment friendly choice. Seb is likely to say, but Santiago, what's the difference between the cars? And that's the problem when you say you've got a bottle just made of plastic because um, pre-existing or 100% recycled PET is a wonder material for reasons I can explain shortly. Um, very different from other materials. Um, you know, if we were producing a bottle of polystyrene, um, I deserve probably to be shot. Um, but, but that's not what we're doing. So uh, we can <laughs> more on it later. So are you talking about, can, can, can the plastic be recycled? Are you talking about how the plastic's manufactured? What, what makes a great, um, a good plastic? Uh, yeah, so, so generally speaking, PET is, is a great material. If, if, if um, the material, which is, looks like plastic, but if normally on a packaging container, it includes the number one in the chasing arrows, um, that's polyethylene tetraphthalate, which is uh, summarized as PET. Um, the, the packaging used for uh, mineral water bottles or Coca-Cola bottles. Um, but a lot of that is virgin material. So it encourages the greater extraction of um, below ground carbon, which needs to stay there because we've got enough above ground carbon and above, above ground virgin PET to recycle it, which is why I tend to use the term, we use pre-existing material to create our bottles because um, nomenclature sometimes can be um, complex and recycled and recyclable, sometimes get yeah. confused. So our bottle is recycled. That means it comes from pre-existing material. 
it's recyclable, means that after the consumer has finished drinking and enjoying the wine, they can put it back into recycling system and recycle it again. You could also add the word recyclit, and that is a material made from recycled content. Um, so too many words are too similar, making it a bit um, uh, unduly um, challenging. But um, the important point, it's above ground carbon, it's pre-existing, it's material that otherwise risks going to incinerate or landfill. Um, it's food grade, it's BPA free, it's inert, um, it protects wine for up to two years. In our instance, as we use a special weight and blend with an oxygen barrier. So um, yeah, um, pre-existing, very low carbon footprint, strong, transparent, recyclable, um, you know, inert. Um, I'd argue no better material for, for the wine industry other than wines that benefit from celery. So I think Seb, Seb, you were saying uh, the other day that recycling plastic is a scam. <laughs> yeah, look, the, the whole Are idea. Are there problems with that? I was, was going to ask. The the I think my understanding of it all is that the 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 different types of plastics are recycled differently, and the only way to know about that different type is really when you look at the actual logo. There's a number associated with it, right? And the challenge is my understanding of it is that different cities, different waste management facilities around the world have different capabilities, right? So some facilities will be able to recycle the plastic type number one, others will be able to recycle one, two, and three. And I'm pretty sure that number six or seven or whatever it is, the last one, nobody can. So it's really never recycled. Uh, is that about right, Santiago? And, yeah. <laughs> and, and your bottles, are they recyclable everywhere on the planet? Or is it only downtown Sydney, downtown New York, downtown Toronto that they have? Yeah, yeah, so it's a great point. So you're right. Generally speaking, seven is the um, flexibles. Um, it's the materials um, that are used to for, for highly convenient grocery products like pre-prepared salads and stuff like that. Um, very, very hard to recycle, tends not to be recycled. It massively depresses the figures on PT, which is the most recycled plastic by far. Um, take countries like Norway, which you know the ultimate goal, higher 90 levels. Um, you know, most countries 50, 60, 70 percent. Um, PT is a polyester. It's the same thing used in in um, polyester garments. So in instances mm -hmm. where bottles, for example, will be downcycled, they'll end up being used in textiles or, or, or car parts or other things. So polyester is a very workable uh, plastic. Yes, there are some that don't, which is why I used um, polystyrene as an example. Um, PVC is a big challenge, but you know, in some instances, these plastics must be allowed because they're used um, for medical purposes or other items. I definitely, um, Seb, I recall you commenting on Laurie also, you both sound um, really uncomfortable with plastics when I previously heard you discuss. But I would argue that um, you know, if I gave you a MacBook, the top, top-end MacBook, if I gave you a pair of really expensive Cutler and Bross sunglasses, if I gave you luxury furniture by Cartel, you'd look mm -hmm. at it, and also if you knew the price tag, you'd go, oh my God, 500 pounds for a pair of sunglasses, it's thousands of pounds for a chair, thousands of pounds mm -hmm. for a MacBook. You'd not be concerned that that's made of plastic. I mean, you know, totally I, full disclosure, I'm recording this in front of a piece of plastic. I got the MacBook uh, right now. And I think what you just mentioned, I think I was guilty of putting all plastic in the same basket. And I got literally like 
give you a quote, like not all plastic are created equal. And it's just very easy to generalize because I do think about glass, there's different levels as well, but it's easier to kind of like consider that like one material there's glass and there's other, but like there's much more variety in plastic um, that way. And unfortunately as well, I think there's been bad press, if you will, on uh, plastic that is fake recycled, like, you know, like, um, like Seb mentioned, or just sometimes like the amount of energy it takes to recycle or how like it's always feel good for people, but actually it doesn't get done. So th there's also like a lot of this like noise and chatter around it. I think right now that is not serving like the bigger picture um, the way it should. So really I take back what I said and I think it's not like not all plastic are created equal. And um, yeah, so yeah, totally. still Great something, point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it also, for example, I, I recall that, that there was a discussion about aluminium cans and we're talking about packaging more generally. So I think it's important you know, to reflect on the different options, pulp, yeah. uh, aluminium, you know, uh, and other materials that can be used to package products. You know, aluminium is very highly recyclable, you're right, Seb. Um, but the extraction of virgin aluminium um, and the toxicity of bauxite is a major issue that one needs to yeah. contend with. When one is using glass in very close um, circular models, it's amazing. You know, if wine is being produced locally, approximately 100 kilometers and being consumed, then probably looping glass round um, is, you know, a far better solution than ours. But the reality is, um, if people listening to this will be tuning in from all across the world and they'll be drinking wine from all across the world. And in instances where wine has such a global and long supply chain, then we need to bear in mind space, weight, and strength. Um, because yeah. this comes back to thinking of stuff from first principles. You know, I started from a blank piece of paper. I, I was building an online wine business. And I was having a lot of problems with broken products. And I said, like, why? Why am I shipping <laughs> wine in a round glass bottle? It's, I would argue that if you brought smart women and men around the table, and asked them to come up with a beautiful pack that protected wine, but got it easily from A to B, where A to B is across continents or across the world, they definitely wouldn't come up with a bottle that is <laughs> heavy, chatters easily, and so spatially inefficient. It's like you're ticking all the boxes you don't want to tick. And so um, mm -hmm. when I went back to the drawing board, I tried to address all those items whilst recognizing that if a product is not beautiful and it's facing the status quo that is beautiful because a round glass bottle, a round glass bottle aesthetically is very pleasing. Yeah, on a dining table, it's probably the most attractive inanimate product. You need to bear in mind, yeah, the aesthetic beauty, the proportionality, you know, the length of the neck compared to the body, the width of the depth, the curvature of the shoulders, etc. Um, so. So yeah, um, it's complex, which is why packaging companies like um, ours should do the hard work so wine companies can focus on making great wine and use our packaging to slash mm -hmm. the carbon footprint, but also sell more products. Um, because I'll, I'll, in, a, in a moment, um, not now, but we speak, um, I'll tell you about how things are going in Australia, because you picked us up from some coverage about our launch in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. But in the last few days, there's been data about how we're performing in Australia. That's great. Oh. 
Awesome. And I was just also curious, like when it comes to, I mean, it's, it's very of actuality right now, but we see, um, you know, like the energy crisis, especially like in Europe, but extending. And, you know, we hear a lot of that of the glass furnaces, like glass suppliers that just have to put down, like turn down ovens because they just, they just can't pay the bills. So like in terms of, because I think that's kind of new in people's perception, right? There's also the energy cost of producing material like we think of the we start thinking of the recycling we start thinking of the weight of like the shipping and until very recently i don't think the manufacturing part of it so when we come to plastic uh, and your bottles in particular so pet um is it like energy more energy friendly like what does it take um especially when it comes from starting with recycling material yeah so um the easy one to remember and for your um, listeners to get connected with, it takes 255 degrees Celsius to reach that temperature to form a bottle in PET, whether it's ours or any other. Okay. It takes more than 1,600 degrees Celsius to form a glass bottle. That's All six right. more than six times the difference in energy. There's other there's other issues with heating a furnace. It's such a lot of energy it doesn't get turned on and off. I mean, the machine yeah. that blows yeah. our bottles. Is switched on and off at the wall when we're not using it. You know what I mean? It's, it's mm. very different. Like, so, and a furnace is running round the clock because to repower yeah. that is significant. Studies show it's eight, eight and a half times the energy difference um, mm -hmm. to use a bottle, same bottle volume, bottle glass versus PT. So uh, a significant thing is the difference. Mm. Also, moving that material for, uh, yeah, I mean, a kilo of, of material, a kilo of raw material would make two glass bottles. It makes 16 of ours. So, you know, again, times the volume that material needs to be moved from the place of the material. So, there's all these figures that yeah, one can, okay, that, that all add up. But if you just take those mm -hmm. degrees Celsius, and sorry, I'm not good in Fahrenheit. So, um, no, uh, me neither. <laughs> a, a converter, if they're listening to us from um, the United States, um, that, that it's so significant that um, it's worthy of, of note. Um, yeah. But all these environmental matters aside, as I say, um, we see um, performance where our bottles are beating glass on shelf, and that's great. Is there is there a um, uh, a standard way to communicate uh, to to calculate that? I mean, is there is there some way that that can be consistently calculated, or 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 do you sort of have to just compare certain parts? And I mean, do you know what I mean? Is there is there a way to then calculate sustainability in a way? Uh, yes, um, a life cycle analysis. Um, so it's basically a study of the consumption of um, materials, energy, water, uh, and other things through the process of producing the material, um, the packaging, the product, the movement of that product supply chain, and then whether it's a retailer gate or the end of life of that product. So yes, the, the life cycle analysis is the commonplace um, system used globally to calculate the environmental impact of one product versus the other. And increasingly we see products um, retailed where there's um, uh, that environmental data is provided, which is, it's very insightful. So more people getting these tools, more retailers using them to communicate, um, you know, and others. And, and the point you covered in one of your recent podcasts is, you know, in a climate crisis, consumers will start to react very differently. It's very hard to see how people will see their life and livelihoods threatened by extreme weather events. Um, they might lose friends or family um, to extreme weather events. 
and that they will continue to act as business as usual because um, uh, yeah, I think the most important bit of data is that we've passed 420 parts per million of atmospheric carbon, which is a measure of the greenhouse effect created that's keeping our planet. And um, we're rapidly heading towards 1.5 degrees. Um, a current trajectory will probably pass that in two, we'll probably head up towards three degrees of heating. And, and that would make the planet uninhabitable for for all but those very few who can safeguard themselves with extreme, extreme measures. And look, look, I would, I would argue ultimately um, there is a way to measure sustainability. What we don't have is a unified and transparent and standardized way to do that across the globe. So different uh, different organizations will kind of attempt towards, will be a bit more lenient for certain measures than others. So it's really not transparent for the, cons the consumers today, right? I think ultimately there is a lot of work that needs to be done towards that. Um, and likewise, I was reading recently around um, uh, cattle and how the, 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 the hive is actually used as a byproduct. It wasn't going to be used anyway. And there's a, a, a segment of the industry using it. And they're now saying, well, we're using something which, which was going to the trash. So the carbon footprint is not ours, right? So there's still some challenges around how carbon footprints and sustainability is being measured. Uh, but we all agree, look, the planet is not in a good shape and we're not heading in the right direction. We need to do something. How, how do you, um, Santiago, how do you communicate that, that through to consumers? I mean, do you have certifications? Is there some, or do, do you just communicate that to producers? What, what about that top, top part of it, getting it to consumers, that information? Yeah, yeah great question. But, but before I answer that, just quickly to respond to Seb's point, I agree, but in instances where the um, competitive offerings are so significantly different, I don't think consumers need that level of explanation to understand um, that something that um, feels and looks um, carbon wasteful or environmentally wasteful um, is different from something that looks environmentally friendly. Like, it's like an electric vehicle versus an internal combustion engine. You can, you know, you can try to explain all the complexity about it, but most people will very quickly and for the right reasons subscribe to the fact that electric vehicle is the future. Um, you know, you can take other things, not from a sustainability perspective, but yes. it was very clear that the DVD would totally wipe the HS off the surface of the earth because the DVD's underlying technology for the purpose of storing and replaying data was far superior on every possible measure. And so mm. when, when the incumbent faces the challenge from something that is step change, not incremental innovation, so totally different like rewriting the rules. And sometimes you don't need to explain it, people get it. I mean, I believe that most people buy a product from its convenience factor, and not only from its environmental perspective, it's just a more easy yeah. pack yeah. to have in your life. And uh, it's, it's, it fits in easier, it carries easier, it works easier. It's, it's just, just easier to use. And so in that instance, you have people who use it and then have that environmental benefit. How do we communicate it to the end user? Actually, we rely upon the great brands that work with us. Um, your listeners can't see this, but you can. I mean, this is a product from Australia. And so it's got really big messaging on the label and then smaller icons at the bottom that explain exactly 
what it does. And also on the back label, there's more um, information about why a flat bottle made from pre-existing PET um, is a far lower carbon footprint solution. And so, um, yes, brands should do that in the short term, um, but sometimes they, it doesn't need to be as prominent as people are just using for the convenience factor. So. Yeah. And actually, that was a question I had for you, Santiago. Like, what has been like the general um, public slash consumer like perception and um, like the shelf presence? You know, like obviously, I imagine it like standing out. Um, yeah, like what are the, the general public in the markets you are in? If you can remind us where we can find your your bottles, that would be great as well for our listeners. But yeah, how is it being received? Yeah, thank you. So we, we launched Products of the World in, in May 2018 in the UK. Um, we have grown much since then. So been in business for a bit over four years, two of which were a challenging pandemic. Um, lots of product nowadays shipped to the UK and the Nordics. I think in the Nordics, they get us very clearly because um, they are very environmentally focused. They also have big outdoor lifestyles. So then once again, that yeah. convenience factor works. Um, I lived in Oslo, I can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, thank you. And more recently in Australia, where we see product um, selling so fast that, um, you know, we ran out of stock having planned properly at the beginning for an MPD product, having to rush to do follow-on productions. And in some instances, the product, um, you know, catching up and potentially now going to beat glass. So for the same SKU uh, with the same branding, et cetera. So, um, so I think... The response has been really good as the inventor of the format. Um, you're passionate about what you do, but in the beginning, um, your own peers tell you, what are you doing challenging the round glass bottle? It's been around since I've been on the planet. Like, why don't you pick an easier career? Um, but you believe in what you're doing. So you push on despite um, those encouraging you to do, to do a real job. Um, then you can eventually, you know, either have to get a real job or prove that you did the right job. Um, and in, in my instance, fortunately, I'm proving that we've done the right thing because we, it took us, um, we're close to four years to do the first million units, but we've done another million units in a few months this year. So um, it's, um, you know, we're massively um, seeing the uptick in, in demand as we do generally ship product, you know, um, many of the sustainable packaging solutions out there that are being talked around much are still niche products that um, us, uh, will find it hard to scale. But an important aspect of ours is not only that we're sustainable, but that we're also highly scalable, mm. which is a principle behind what I developed. I wanted to use the biggest established technologies, but push those technologies to the max, push molds to the max, push availability and use of 100% RFET, you know, doing these things, but also things like fitting into a bottling line. It's far easier. I was for just us about to ask. Yeah. <laughs> it's far easier for us having to deploy in Australia by just taking our tooling and blowing bottles locally in Melbourne, but being able then to run on a bottling line that's established in the wine industry, yeah, versus sure. having to ask somebody to bring immense amount of capex initially. That's that's a big ask from a packaging perspective. So things are going um, really well. I'm super uh, excited and grateful and. The one thing I will add is that much is said about social media sometimes being a hive of um, negativity and, and mm -hmm. other things, um, but it's also a really um, great opportunity when you're building a business in this day and age as a business owner to spend time 
looking to see what people who've bought your product in a supermarket have to say, you know, better than a focus group in my view, because they're real people who purchase stuff and have found mm -hmm. something in it so exciting that they choose to want to choose. And a great example is in June this year, we launched um, together with Accolade Wines, a product called Banrock Station, the eco-friendly brand in Tesco, the UK's largest supermarket. And the reviews on there for both the red and white wine are so great. Um, there's so much focus on packaging, which um, I think slightly um, disproves um, a point made um, in one of the recent conversations I overheard um, or listened in today in advance of um, meeting you all and chatting is that consumers don't care about packaging. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think they wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to think about packaging today, but if they find <laughs> packaging in their life that makes their life better, Mm -hmm. Then in some instances, they do jump onto social media to, um, to share it with others. And that's really good. And do, do you have any, um, any numbers for us on the, the weight advantage? So uh, a bottle, a case of, of 12 bottles is give or take 16 kilos. Uh, how heavy is a case of 12 bottles using your bottles? Just under 10. So that's interesting. So the, the weight of the liquid remains the same. Um, but, but we're, we're 63 grams um, versus a, a, an average 500 gram bottle in, in the wine industry. Depends where some would say four, six, as in cases, kilo, but actually, um, you know, world respected critics and writers like Dancis Robinson now um, putting unbelievable pressure on producers to, yeah. uh, to cut their weight. So if they stay in glass, at least to, to use the um, absolute lowest volume you can use. Because to be honest, there is no um, barrier, oxygen barrier benefit between a 330 gram bottle and a 900 gram bottle. And that mm -hmm. is the benefit of glass, that it's, it has an oxygen barrier that's impermeable to oxygen. So seal a bottle properly of the right sort of wine, put in a cellar and you'll develop all those um, wonderful secondary flavors that come out of um, an aging wine. Um, but um, yeah, there is, um, I think, some perception that a very, very heavy bottle will make a difference in people's perception on quality. And I'm not sure that I've seen any supporting data for that. I do believe that if somebody sees something like significantly bigger, then they might be driven to purchase it. I use the example of um, loose avocados in a, in a basket. Um, where there's a, you know, they're all one single price and there's one that looks really big and one that looks really tiddly and very few would go and pick up the tiddly one. Um, uh, <laughs> but but, um, but that's, an, that's an aspect of, I think, greed, which is a um, bit of a human trait. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, but I'm, where people have cut the bottle weight and shared that information, they haven't seen uh, an impact. And I know Crimson Wine Group are a great example in US. Um, Nicholas Killet has shared on several podcasts I've listened to how they cut their bottle weight and they saw no difference in sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting when I first arrived in Canada in 2006 and started my career as a wine label designer, it was just, I mean, I know I'm dating myself, but it was just introduction of like the Eco line by like Saverglass or Saint-Gobain, like, like the glass supplier. And it was like, not revolutionary, but already the discussion was there, like, oh, like, it's like a less, like, like less thick glass, smaller pond. And like you said, and we kind of managed to reach 
500 grams per empty bottle. Uh, to give context uh, to our listeners, uh, when I work with clients and we are looking at more uh, like premium glasses, it's very easy reaching 750 gram a bottle, totally empty, like no liquid in it. Um, it's kind of insane. Um, and so EcoGlass was 2005, 2006 in, in my world. Um, and now we're just like taking steps obviously further when uh, we have your numbers. Um, and I can't help to think as well, as a designer, um, one of the biggest challenge we have is applying, you know, like great graphic, great labels on this uh, round surface, like not so much the application, but the fact that like the field of vision, like the size of the label kind of disappears in terms of uh, billboard, if you will, um, on the shelf. Um, so I would love, for example, to design uh, a label you know, for your product, because suddenly, like in terms of um, branding, you have so much more of a canvas to play with without losing the edges to, you know, the warp uh, of the cylinder. <laughs> Just selfish yeah, design totally. standpoint. <laughs> a, a billboard effect. Um, the bottle that uh, you might have seen online, and, and we should definitely get your samples so you can experience in hand, um, has 43% of the entire surface area is flat. And so those two very large flat panels on the front and the back provide a very clear billboard effect. When they're placed in store, there's no um, uh, unsure or should it be this angle or that angle. They're just placed in flat. We get 11 bottles deep on a retail shelf that's built for six. So we get 83% more product on a retail shelf, giving more availability, ensuring product mm -hmm. is in stock. And this is in a world still, which I believe it still fills um, uh, you know, retail stores by hand. Um, in, yeah. no, no one's actually loading using um, you know, dispensing technologies or, or other mechanisms. They're just opening mm -hmm. cartons and filling. So that, that once again makes a massive difference. But um, um, space um, is not discussed often enough. You know, we've talked a lot about material here. We've talked about weight. Um, but I, and we also, I mentioned atmospheric carbon, which I'd argue is the single most important metric that people should follow because it will, it will determine the quality of life they live and, and the likely life their grandchildren will have. Um, but, but also I think space um, because um, the current bottle format is a 19th century um, adaptation to a 17th century British invention, the, the onion, onion wine bottle, Digby's glass bottle, the first scaled wine bottle. And the, the population since, uh, many probably know, but they don't think about it. In 1800, we were a billion people on the planet. In 1900, mm -hmm. we were 1 1.6 billion people. 2000, so there's a hundred year jump, close to 6 billion people. And now we're, we're you know, at eight, 20 years eight. later. Mm -hmm. So we've gone one, 1 1.668, and most of those people actually are living in urban centers, urban sprawls that are becoming very big, very, very um, dense um, concentration of people, big strain on supply chains, et cetera. And in that, the, it's a very easy win to be space efficient. Um, it's, um, you know, other than lightweight and strong. So I think, yeah, using those three principles, uh, then create a product that's beautiful is important, which um, I, I, I heard you both talking about bottles and you know, will bottles remain and does it need to be a bottle, etc. which I guess put back to you both, Seb and Laurie. Um, 
Yeah, my view it should be because you can make a bottle that's smart enough that it packs like a brick or a box. Mm -hmm. um, but that's pretty when you take it out and put it on a dining table. But it needs to be a very smart bottle design. It can cross pack, not just flat pack. Um, mm -hmm. Over to you guys. What do you think there's going to be a future of um, bottleless? I think it would be, for me, the way I look at it, I think it would be more future of hybrid, um, like smarter bottle. You know, we're not talking like technology smart as in like responsive and everything, but like, you know, smarter in its design and approach and uh, carbon footprint. Uh, but for me recently, I've really gotten into um, really like, and that's also like living in Norway for a while, uh, great bag in a box. Uh, so I'm actually curious about like the carbon you know, of that pouch, like like the plastic in, in that box. Uh, and honestly, I just bought a very nice decanter and it makes a lot of effect when I bring it to the table uh, with my friend. Um, so like I'm looking at it like both, uh, both frames right now. The problem here in Canada is the quality of the wine in the bag in a box is very so-so, like it's very commercial, low grade. Like we haven't had uh, the chance yet to get some really nice wines in that format like I've seen uh, in Scandinavia. Yeah, um, it's an interesting technology, um, but it's um, 1960s technology. Um, the bag in box, 1960s, okay. Yeah, mid 1960s. The screw cap and the bag in box are one year apart, both Australian mm. inventions. Um, you know, the, the screw cap was taken to France by Peter Wall from Yalamba. Um, so so the, it wasn't produced there, so it's credited to France, but the inventor is an Australian. Uh, and Bag in Box um, is also an Australian innovation, and, and the patent holder uh, was an Australian, so mid-1960s. Um, problem with Bag in Box is um, that the bag is very, very hard to recycle, even if it's taken out. And if it's sent to its waste as a carton cover with a with the met pet bag inside and the and the and the tap on it then doesn't get recycled doesn't, um, yeah. i don't subscribe to people pulling packaging apart when they've finished drinking two or three liters of wine um i, I don't even subscribe to people having they, they, our bottle goes as it is in its entirety which is why it has a polypropylene cap and a special mm -hmm. label and adhesive so that the whole thing can go into recycling in most of the world, except because you asked the question for most of the world um, intercepts and recycles PET. Um, and so, yeah, um, I think it's, we need to be, uh, we were talking about generally about sustainable packaging. So I think it's important to put down some uh, overall um, helpful suggestions, mono material mm -hmm. in the first place. So if it's aluminium, just an entire aluminium thing, which is why the can is great. You know, the, the, the way it opens, et cetera, it's a monomaterial product, an entire glass bottle where the cork is removed and you just have a glass container. Amazing, it's glass. We can talk about the energy needed to recycle them and move them afterwards in a second. But, but same thing with a PT bottle, you know, as long as it has a plastic cap on it and the right label, it's fine. Um, you know, shame on those, and I'll, I will mince my words, but shame on those who ship PET bottles with aluminium closures. There are many mm -hmm. who do that, and that's a um, a mess in the in the recycling. The um, collar will not be removed, and so that bottle is not likely to be recycled, and that's a shame mm -hmm. because there are um, 
solutions that work for wine. Mm -hmm. um, but there are those who still ship with a traditional um, wine aluminium closure on a PT bottle in most of the Paper bottles is a kind of new idea that's emerged in the last, well, it seems to hit, have hit my radar in the last few years. What do you think about paper bottles? Like it, depends, it really depends which one. So mm -hmm. there are some prototypes being developed by two organizations called Palpex and Poboco, um, made quite um, famous by doing a Johnny Walker bottle and a more recently a Carlsberg beer bottle. Those are mm -hmm. pulp bottles formed and they have a currently a PT liner. So they're currently a problem, but it's not an issue because they're not shipping any. They're just prototypes. Um, okay. They're planning on having a bio-based liner because, of course, you cannot put liquid in a paper bottle. It just doesn't take a rocket scientist. Um, <laughs> There is, there, there is also other technologies which are like bag in box shaped in a bottle. Um, once again, that ha will have the same recyclability issues um, if yeah. it's not handled properly. Uh, and, uh, you know, drink, I think, is a key, um, uh, one of three key aspects for packaging success in wine. Um, uh, you know, and so, Unfortunately, I'm not sure that if you drop that um, bottle, it will um, survive um, very well. And that couriers are aggressive. So I, I'm, in summary, the world of wine needs a lot of different pack formats to be successful. There's too much of one format at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'm motivated by innovation, but we need products that are available now and that are shipping at the level that we are shipping or more, um, not mm -hmm. those who... Um, talk about a, a potential bright future because the planet is heating now. You know, we see the extreme devastation in Pakistan in the last weeks. Um, this is just going to become more and more commonplace. You know, how long, you know, how, how, how long do we wait? We cannot we must act now. And so sustainable, scalable solutions. Um, uh, are... Sorry, I was going to ask if, for a winery wanting to adopt as a whole, your plastic bottle or only in par for a specific line or, or product, uh, what's the cost of your bottle? So it depends in which market. Uh, we aim to be price competitive with um, what's out there at the moment. Um, so, but it really depends on the size of winery. We, we manage to work with global giants at the moment and, and allow them to have successful product offerings. So, I assume that most smaller wineries, it will be fine. Um, given give an example, in Australia, we provide a complete um, dry goods and processing package for under two Aussie dollars. Um, that's affordable for most and in line with mo what most are paying. Yeah, let's take the very, very biggest in, in the world, uh, Gallo in California. Um, yeah, we need to do some tweaks on our price to uh, allow them to switch their entire range, but we're, we're, we're not proposing to anybody to switch their entire product range um, into one single format, whether it's ours or someone else's. Um, you know. So, so it's it's fair it's fair to say that the the plastic bottle is not significantly more expensive, but also not significantly cheaper. It's pretty much in par, or you're trying to be in par with the glass bottle. Uh, well, when we scale, we'll be far cheaper. Yeah, um, so that's important for us.
Uh, we use a technology that, once again, those energy savings I mentioned before, 255 degrees Celsius, there's 1,600. The fact we get um, you know, 1,600 um, bottles dry goods uh, on a pallet, we get 1,200 pill bottles on a pallet, all these yeah. things, they all add up to make significant Mm. savings if someone is using our packaging for a, a, a brand that will be exported um there are many examples i have looked at where the logistics saving um by sense. using our format versus the round glass bottle would mean that the packaging is for free um mm -hmm. so you know as i said we're, we've done a couple of million units and since birth um when we get to position um, which is in my plan to be doing hundreds of millions of units then um, at that point, um, you know, it's why I chose PET technology as the underlying technology. I just chose to push the flat pack benefits to the absolute limit to create a broad intellectual property portfolio, which would give us some space in which to operate and make the investments required to, to build this business. Um, but, you know, we use a technology that made Coca-Cola successful. Coke would have not managed to become as successful as they, as they are today if they stayed in those beautiful, curvaceous glass bottles. It was their successful adoption of PET and CAN um, that got them to, to being where they are at such scale. So um, yeah, there are deployments of bottling lines doing 150,000 bottles an hour in PET never get that in glass. No. Uh, well, sorry, sorry. what do you think the, um, the from an sorry, sorry, from an adoption standpoint, uh, you mentioned that a glass bottle has been there forever. It's a fairly traditional kind of industry uh, to, to choose uh, for you to tackle. Uh, we also have seen that, as you mentioned, the screw cap uh, has taken more or less 20, 30, 40 years to become arguably mainstream, not exactly, but more or less. Uh, why the wine industry and, and what, why do you limit yourself to the wine industry? Uh, and what do you see in the wine industry is going to be your greatest challenge for greater adoption? Yeah, so multiple questions. First of all, we don't restrict ourselves to the wine industry. We're already working on projects in um, mineral water and olive oil. Um, but these are um, very scaled projects and not niche product projects, so they'll take a while to get on the ground. That's why we're called Pacamama. We were originally called Garçon Wines because I invented the packaging for my own business, but then saw that many others were interested in using it. So pivoted to being a packaging company and Pacamama is intentionally um, liquid agnostic to allow us to do more. Um, I think using the screw, screw cap took a long time, so changing a bottle might also take a long time. I don't think it's as an argument that is has any underlying basis because there's many examples of technologies that came around and and you know disrupted very fast. Screwcap offered some packaging benefits, but there was not a larger underlying problem with cork versus screwcap. And there's still a big argument today of which is more environmentally friendly, the carbon capture elements of the cork, natural cork versus synthetic cork versus so, so the, the corkscrew, sorry, the, the screw cap was for some a better closure for what they were doing and it was more convenient. The, but it's very different when we're looking at something like a climate crisis and the need for wine to flash its carbon footprint and the growing knowledge that the single largest contributor to wine's carbon footprint is the round glass bottle. Transport, so, yeah. 
you know, we're not surfing in a paddling pool, we're surfing with the big waves. And, and so if we catch one of those waves, um, we will surf like they do off the coast of Portugal, um, not like you would do in a paddling pool. So, so I think there's very different underlying aspects here, but, you know, we give multiple benefits um, beyond some sort of functional one that was the screw cap analogy. Um, I think I answered all your questions, but sorry if I didn't. Diego, why don't we finish yeah. off? Uh, why don't you just tell us how um, you teased us about how it was going in Australia? <laughs> we want to uh, know. Yeah, very good. Uh, I gave a couple of points actually to our discussion. Yeah, so we 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 produced enough products and to give us uh, enough forward visibility for what was initially planned based on all things we had. But um, uh, there was an article in the Guardian two weeks ago, around the fifteenth, which covers both. Um, Accolade wines and Taylor's wines, saying that you know the, the demand has been so great that we ran out of stock, that it's been a big surprise, that we've had to rush through our next production. Um, yeah, Australians have really jumped onto what we do. We're extremely grateful to the brands for being so forthcoming in the communication of what we do on the pack, and also to Coles Liquor Group for putting the bottles in a the product, but in the bottles um, into floor standing display units with the messaging that says the bottle that helps save our planet and, and communicating all around on the, the display units, the benefits of the bottle uh, and why Aussie consumers are seeing it. Um, and we're about to actually enter Australian summer. Um, and so, you know, the outdoor lifestyle, the barbecue, the convenience aspect will come to be a winner for Australians. We, we are also proudly made from Australian recycled material. So it's material mm -hmm. that's intercepted in homes and businesses, and then it's recycled in New South Wales, then it's made food grade to FDA and extra standards for the European Union and United States, uh, and, and then produced into bottles. So it's a really good example to Australians that recycling does work um, because it doesn't work in some instances, but it does work in some. And so um, our own recently, um, uh, you know, uh, our own prime minister recently left Boris Johnson, I'm probably from central London. Uh, yeah, he, um, out of the fallacy that um, recycling does not work. That's um, total nonsense. Um, mm -hmm. it's, um, it does work in some instances, it doesn't work in others. And um, so we should focus on the areas it doesn't work in rather than just um, overly simplify, um, you know, and just say like, no wine is good because you've, you've tried to drink a <laughs> wine that came from a producer who had no clue what they're doing and, you know, made wine that was totally unpalatable. So. Um, uh, United States for us next, and, and shortly afterwards, Canada. <laughs> Canada is so small, like you will make even more of an impact if you convert the States for sure. <laughs> well, that was all about packaging. Uh, that was episode 36 of the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. First, I'd like to thank you, Santiago from Pacamama, for joining us. Um, excellent conversation. Um, Lori from Outshinery. Seb from Trolley, and we'll see you all in a few weeks. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here, Santiago. Cheers, guys. Very, very insightful. <laughs> thank you. And whatever happens, please cut your carbon footprints because it's the right thing yes. to do. Take care, and thanks for having me. <laughs>